it's a war time. My father did like five wars, and uh, my father is from the only people in Israel, which is very limited, to carry uh, red winged uh, paratrooper. Welcome to the Close Quarter Dad podcast discussions about raising your kids with confidence, safety, and resilience. I'm your host, Adam Mitchell, and I hope you enjoy this episode. Hey, everybody. Uh, today, we are joined by someone who is extremely uh, special to me. Uh, he's not only one of my teachers, one of my inspirations in the world of martial arts, but I have the honor and privilege to also call him a friend. I'm really excited, and I couldn't speak more highly of this man as a warrior, uh, but also as a father. And it's really exciting for me that this is going to be the kickoff podcast, the kickoff episode for Close Quarter Dad. And I would love to, and I'm excited to introduce all of you to my friend, Avi Nardia Sensei. Avi, welcome to the, uh, the podcast, Close Quarter Dad. Thank you very much. Thank you. So I'm really interested, before we get into a discussion, I'd love you to share a little bit and a little bit, give a little bit of a tribute to your dad, because I know that that's a huge part of the backstory of Kapop. Uh, as well as uh, there's quite a bit of history in uh, Israel with the work that your father did. So I was wondering if you could take a few minutes and, and share with uh, myself and, and our listeners uh, a little bit about your dad and his history. And then I'd like to move into, you know, how that influenced you to get to where you are now. Well, my father lost his uh, parents when he was 11. And he moved uh, from Europe to to Israel, actually, as a new immigrant. And, um, you know, one thing that I most respect for him, because we always have uh, excuses why we do the wrong thing, but even he had all the reasons to go wrong way, he just uh, worked very hard, the uh, honest man. He never went into crime, into bad ways. And he actually grew up in Israel since he's 11, at the age of uh, 18, Seven years after, he joined the army, and he joined the Arab trooper, which was a very young uh, unit that actually was molded with the unit uh, 101. And the unit 101 is a very conflict unit. It was led by uh, Meir Arfion, rest in peace, and uh, a guy that was later prime minister named Arik Sharon, rest in peace. You know, like, uh, it's really also, like, uh, hard to judge those units in today's scale because, you know, some people will claim that they did the wrong thing. Some will even claim uh, war crime. But, you know, when you kill people, uh, that's called war. It's a very tough times uh, for Israel, and uh, it's a very bad times. And uh, sometimes, you know, in that environment, uh, life can be much more brutal and, and tough. So just for anybody who's listening who doesn't quite understand, could you take us back to that like that time when he was 18? What was the political environment like? What was the landscape uh, of, of threat in uh, Israel? And, and like really, what was he facing as a young man and as a teenager? My father was not a, my father was a tough guy and not talk much, but the, mostly I heard it from friends. So for example, <laughs> one day, uh, you know, like my father grew in a kibbutz on the border with Jordan. And there were a lot of time um, situations that terrorists will come from Jordan cross the, the border, which is a river that, you know, in the U.S. it will not considered even like, uh, I don't know, the most uh, river 
where it's the most wide, it will be like three meters. So it's very easy to cross, and that's the border. There were a lot of issues with uh, terrorists at that time. You know, their the name was uh, Fadayouns, and the Fadayoun will come uh, from Jordan. And one day when he came to change the other farmer, uh, they used to do shifts on tractor. So the other guy was all uh, uh, butchered. He was... Uh, his neck was cut, and uh, his uh, genitals were not in the place. They were in... Uh, so, you know, like, there was a lot of rough and brutal uh, war also to scare the people uh, from the terrorist side. And in that time, uh, Arik Sharon made a unit. You need to remember Israel was uh, exist only from 1948, and now we talk about right. the 50s. You know, it was very wild uh, place when uh, terrorist group coming and they slaughter people. And sometimes you had to, for example, this Mera Sion, his sister, uh, she tried to go with her boyfriend to Petra. And she was raped and uh, murdered. And then Mera Sion go and he revenge on that village. So... It was much more like a paramilitary than para, you know, like people take the law to their hands. And at that time, uh, Unit 101, uh, which is the model for Israeli special forces, uh, they, they took them out from called 101 and they called them now paratroopers 890. And my father just joined at that time to, to the army. So you talk about, uh, Tough people, farmers, uh, survivalists, uh, everyone had his own uh, personal story about losing parents, grow by themselves, coming to a new wild country for the wild west in the US, you know, time. It's a war time. My father did like five wars and uh, my father is from the only people in Israel which is very limited to carry a uh, red wing uh, paratrooper. Uh, you know, most of people, it's no matter which unit, they don't uh, have this kind of uh, benefit. It means that you parachuting in a war. And it's a totally different generation. It's a generation of uh, farmers, uh, people that work to build the country. Um, Israelis exist because of those people. They didn't have a... Easy life, and mostly you're talking about people that sacrifice everything that they had to grow a generation like my generation, to give them education, to give them better opportunities, uh, to give them a better safety. So that's my father, and and uh, you know my father saw the army as a second family. And I think that all his life he, he was sorry that he left the army because it was like a family in a time for him. And that's why I think he tried to push me into army life since I'm 14. I was uh, growing up as a military cadet. In a, my high school was the army. So it's like an army high school. And then, you know, uh, I never, for me, I just want to come to the army and go home. I, I'm not an army personality, you know, like, uh, it's very strange because people know me as a major and they think, you know, I'm a yes sir, no sir man. And I'm those guys that actually, I'm a very funny guy and uh, I don't like to tell people what to, to do. I don't like people to tell me what to do. I'm very free bird. And uh, if you see my life, I'm a traveler. I'm like a nomad. I, I travel all over the world every Every month I cross maybe four or five countries and uh, minimum. Uh, 
and I teach. So I think my father passed me two things. One was the nomad mentality. He liked also to travel. And the other one is uh, to do what you need to do if you need to do. And this is one day, you know, when I moved to the U.S., for example, I was uh, a lot of American Krav Maga used to, um, to see me as a threat because I'm a major, come from Israeli army. We teach in Krav Maga, which is the official system of the army claim. None of them served in the army. And suddenly I'm here. So, you know, as a business uh, strategy, they used to slander me all over. And when they finish slender me, they try also to slender my father. And two weeks before he's, di- he's dying, uh, I asked him, can you tell me about your red wings? Can you tell he didn't want? He said, look, I don't care. We did what we had to do, and that's it. We didn't do it for medals. We did it to do it to anything. We did it to survive. We did it what was necessary. We didn't do it to write books. You know, like... Different generation than the generation that you see now, that uh, everyone takes video, everyone uh, they do something, write a book about that. And, you know, we're a totally different generation. They were humble. They did it not because they want to write a book or to use it for marketing themselves. So that's, that's my father's generation. That's, that's an amazing, I, you know, all the years I've known you, I've never really, I've heard a little bit about your father and uh, you shared a couple things with me and I've read a couple things, but uh, thanks for going that deep with us and, and sharing that story. Honestly, you know, like uh, my father never told me much. It's like yeah. all, you know, in funeral and things. And then, you know, friends come and tell you stories and, uh, uh, you know, like from my father's point, it's like a episode and now you live a different episode. I wonder if you could go a little bit into your military history as much as you can, as much as you want to, and share. But what really interests me is when and how your passion for traditional martial arts, and, and I know it came through, uh, or I'm assuming it came through kendo, and, and your fascination with becoming a, a, a kendo ka or a student of Japanese sword fencing while you were in the military in Israel and how that contrast came to be uh, and, 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 and sort of the value that you have uh, and that you, you know, as a, as a soldier, what was it that attracted you and your appeal to those traditional arts? Well, you know, we back to my childhood. I think that, um, you know, like uh, since I pop up in the world. I was already in the emergency, uh, struggling for my life. My, my blood was poisoned. I got even, uh, appetitis immediately. You know, like when a baby born and immediately is in the emergency. Yeah. And uh, my mom says that she remember me always with wires to my head, to my body and, uh, to all those machines in hospital. And I think this is the first thing maybe that uh, I understand what is martial art. It's awareness and it's the will to live and to live good. And that's why I always tell my students, I'm teaching you actually uh, quality life, to respect life, how to live life. Uh, the self-defense is a follow-up, but, um, right. you know, we don't teach only like how to defend. Uh, many times they want me to defend uh, disarming a knife and I say let me disarming a, a fork because most of you will die from overweight from heart attack so let me teach you about disarming forks and uh, how to live a healthy life because 
the, the percentage of somebody will attack you with a knife and then there's another guy that when you are on the ground, he's kicking you. And this, this is in a movie. This is a happened maybe to a 0.1 percentage from all the people that, for example, bang on car accidents. So self-defense is also how to drive properly, how to not uh, get killed on the road. So... This take me again, like when I uh, was a child, I was very sick. And uh, a part of that, I was always uh, uh, fighting because my little brother or my bigger brother, he was one year over me. And since I remember myself and my brother, it was a fight. I mean, for anything. Lunch, fight. Breakfast, fight. Uh, two boys. My father worked very hard. My mom was alone in the house and very busy. So everything for us was uh, solved hand-to-hand with me and my brother. Even uh, later on, changing channels on TV, everything was hand-to-hand. And, uh, of course, uh, that led me maybe to always attracted to martial arts. I start with different teachers that don't even ask me their names, but I really have a very good memory in my mind. Because, you know, they were not maybe experts for this or that, but they all study judo, jiu-jitsu, a blend, what we call today uh, Krav Maga. But, you know, they're all coming from ex-army this, ex-army that, and uh, they just teach. So that's my childhood. And then I saw, uh, by coincidence, judo, and I fell in love in judo because suddenly I saw that, um, you know, leverage is very important, movement, timing, all the things that I saw in martial arts important. And uh, at that time also my father always uh, resisted. Uh, he didn't like the level of the Israeli martial artist uh, teachers at that time. He said that uh, when boxing was popular, they teach boxing. When, uh, you know, like judo is popular, now they're all judo. Which is true, but you know, also if you look, people that do martial arts, we always, there's MMA, we're going to MMA, we're going to, you know, sometimes we're going also with the flow. But uh, my father started to teach me what he studied in the army, and it was very tough. Today I can respect it, because you know, spirit and to be tough is sometimes very important, and that's why body condition and mental condition for me is very important in what I teach as a martial art because you can have the best technique and get your, um, you know, you're lost in a fight because uh, without spirit, uh, you will always give up. So I can see from my father, from this kind of people that teach me and then start my way in judo, fall in love in judo. I always look at karate like a weird thing. To me, as a judoka, you know, they do all of those moves in the air and then I get whoop and they are on the floor and I'm choking them. But then one friend of mine was very impressive. And when he hit me karate, I felt it and I couldn't breathe. And I said, wow, that's a nice karate. That's what I want to study. So I moved in to study karate from Kyokushin, Gojuryu. Uh, later on, of course, in my life, I met uh, a genius in martial art, uh, Hanshi Patrick McCarthy, and I joined him uh, and started studying and follow his work. And then, you know, met uh, in Japan also uh, my teacher for swords. And when you mention Kendo, it's true, I studied Kendo, Iaido, Jodo, and Kenjutsu. And today, I don't teach anymore Kendo and Kendo. I teach, I call it swordmanship. 
and I also blend the European uh, sword. Uh, I'm also Olympic fencing, so for me, it's the art of blade. It's it's anything that is a, is a blade. I want to know how to utilize it. And actually, I'm going now to the U.S. Marines that their manual books say any weapon say mine, and it's true. Once you understand the concept and the mind, you can do anything. You can you can fight with a pencil. You can fight with a sword. And uh, swordsmanship is very, very important in my martial art. I think swordsmanship teach you the first thing in martial art, move. Because if you don't move, if you don't move aside, if you don't try to avoid the fight, to move from the fight, you've been cut. And it's no matter how strong you are, it starts to teach you, you don't want to get cut. And this is a risk that you have in any every fight. You, you fight with somebody in a gas station and the guy pull a knife. So it makes you in a mentality... I don't want really to fight, only if I have to. And this is, I really appreciate what uh, swordsmanship teach me. And this is why I always, when people ask me, I see myself as a swordsmanship and combative. Because it's no matter if you do this style or this style, we talk about distance. And the first distance is to avoid the fight. The second is that you cannot avoid the fight. And it's no matter if the guy has a stick, that's the first distance. If you have a sword, that's the first distance that he can hurt you. Or if we clinch and the next distance is when we're going to grappling and now it's no matter if it's uh, sambo, Senegal wrestling, sumo, uh, jiu-jitsu, Brazilian jiu-jitsu, you better not to defend yourself in the grappling. And uh, this is why lately I moved also the Kapap Maga into what I call Israeli jiu-jitsu because it's not Brazilian jiu-jitsu, it's not Japanese jiu-jitsu, but of course, it has those uh, parts in the puzzle, because my past, I always respect the Japanese jiu-jitsu, judo, but I'm always trying to study more, and I'm trying to see uh, if I can get things from wrestling, from sumo, uh, sambo, sumo, I don't care the name. Everything that works is good for us. I want to thank you for spending time with us on this episode today. It's truly appreciated. I hope you got some value from it. If you want to go ahead and leave any comments or questions, reach out to me directly. I personally answer all of the questions that you have. If you know someone like yourself who may find value in this episode, then please go ahead and share it. We'd also like to ask you to subscribe to Close Quarter Dad. This way you get updated every time a new episode comes out wherever you're listening to this episode. Thank you so much once again, and we'll see you on the next episode of Close Quarter Dad.